Hey, welcome to Sunday School. I'm glad you're here. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. You're listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. We are the college and 20-somethings ministry of New Life Church. So before I introduce our guest speaker this morning, uh, a few announcements. If you're new to the Mills Sunday School, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, on every table is a, is a card that uh, just asks for some information, and you really can give us as much or as little information about yourself if you want. No strings attached, but if you, if you fill it out, and as you leave, bring it to the table back there where there's some gift bags. Uh, one of those gift bags is for you, and it's got Brady Boyd's book in it that he just wrote um, called Addicted to Busy, and it has a Desperation Band CD in there. Totally just a gift for you. We'd love for you to have it. No strings attached. And and finally, on your, uh, on your tables is I th- hopefully a little email list. It says name and email. And we would love to get your name and email if you want to be on a list for upcoming events. Last week, we did a barbecue. Is anybody there? Uh, we watched the Broncos and, and played cornhole. And some people won the cornhole championship of the world. There's Matt Lemunyan. Where's your buddy, Matt? She's not here right now. She's running a half marathon. Well, see, see, see the kind of... Uh, People that win cornhole tournaments. Um, so the next month's, can I tell them next month, we're talking about next, next month, we're, t- we're talking about doing a corn maze together. Just a fun, uh, non-demonic corn maze where we'll go and we'll just walk around and get lost together as Sunday school. And so it's just kind of a fun reach kind of thing. And we're doing these things to, for you to invite your friends, for us to get to know each other kind of outside of this meeting. Because really, we only have like five minutes together beforehand, five minutes together afterwards for the most part. And so these things are to get to know each other for the community that we believe is so important. So those are your announcements. So if you fill out your name and email, you'll make sure you get on the email list for upcoming events for the future. So, uh, let me introduce our guest speaker. Uh, Brad, why don't you come on up here? Um, Apparently needs very little introduction, but we are on a a sermon series about death and the afterlife. And just to let you know, it's going to be a a weighty morning. I'm sure Brad will will start us off with lighthearted jokes and shenanigans and do a little dance and stuff. Um, But, (laughs) see... (laughs) <laughs> uh, but it, it really will be a heavy morning. He was, we were talking about what he's going to talk about, and I was bawling, asking him how he was going to get through it, really and truly. So it's, it's a deep morning, uh, a, morning about, uh, a morning about grieving and mourning. And, and, and so Brad has a testimony and story. So let's praise the Lord for Brad. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Yeah, we were talking about this morning in my office, and uh, I looked over at, at Joe, and he was all just mistied up. And so I said, oh, grab the Kleenex, and the Kleenex box was empty. And so he was just like wiping on. I don't know what you were wiping your tears on. You, my hair. Oh, wait, no, it wasn't my hair. Um, we were talking in the back, and um, I now know why Joe invites me here, because I'm the most like him as far as the pastoral staff, because we're both 5'8", and we both weigh 165 pounds. So if I had a t-shirt and a sports coat and a, and a toupee, um, I, w- I could say, hello, welcome to, yeah, I could do all the things that Joe does, but um, pretty, pretty awesome. Um, so, yeah, this morning, before we jump in, I actually uh, have a discussion, want to just kick it right back to your tables. I love this format because there's so much, if you're like me, that is so much insight and clarity about life and about God 
and about ourselves that comes when we're in robust dialogue with each other. And so I just, I love that we sit around roundtables and chat about real stuff. So this morning, the question at hand that I want to kick things off, it's a real, uh, it's a real lightweight question, actually not. Um, so here it is. Describe a loss you've experienced and talk about the emotions and thoughts that came along with it. So examples, I think we have them up there. Everything from you lose a pet, that's a big bummer, to you graduate from a school and you, your social setting that you've known for X amount of years suddenly disappears and you transition out and it's like you experience the loss all the way up to losing a loved one, a family member. So, ready, set, discuss. Did I get it right? Ready, set, discuss. Oh yeah, I forgot, discuss. All right. So I'm curious, how many of, someone at your table, I'm curious how many tables said, well yeah, one of the losses was a relational breakup of some sort, or some pain or loss in a relationship. Yeah, brutal. How about, how about the whole move? You left, raise your hand high, yeah, packed up the bags, and you moved, and you're like, oh my gosh, my whole world just changed. You got your new location, and you're like, wow, nothing of what I knew is here. This hurts. This is painful. How about the pet? Anybody lose a gerbil or a hamster? Yeah, a cat? Yeah, my father-in-law is a vet, and so... <laughs> He tells me stories about pet owners that just come in and they, yeah, there's actually a room where in his practice where they go and they grieve the loss of their pet. It's a real deal. When you you lose a pet you've had for like 18 years. I was on a trip in Florida and I was 18 and my beloved little poodle, Roger, died. He had a seizure and died in my stairwell and I was in another state and I got the call. It was a great day. Let me just tell you about it. Um, yeah, we all experience loss, right? It's just, it's rough, it's brutal. Um, for me, as a pastor, I am with people a lot that are going through seasons of great loss and turmoil. And I think rather na- naively, I thought, well, I kind of get this whole grieving mourning thing. Like, I, I sort of am around it a lot, and Little, I didn't think about the fact that I had never really faced anything super huge in my life in this area. Uh, we used to live in California, and my parents who live here uh, would frequently come visit us. And we were walking along the beach um, one day near San Clemente, if you, if you guys know Orange County, Southern California area. And it was kind of an idyllic day. Like the weather was perfect. Of, Actually, that's every day in Orange County, but the weather was perfect. The dolphins were swimming about 50 yards offshore. My four kids were playing in the waves and and along the shore with their grandparents. And man, things were just good. I was just sitting on this picnic bench looking out going, man, this is just awesome. And what a great day. My parents are in town. We're about ready to go have some In-N-Out burger. And yeah, I heard some fist pump there, come on, in and out, and my mom's phone rings, and I'm like, oh, her phone, I, oh, mom, she's kind of like, mom, come up here, she takes the call, and I just looked over at her while she was in this discussion with, I didn't know who, I could see it on her face, and I thought, oh my gosh, 
what is going on. And she, she hung up the phone, and it was just like she was stunned. Like she was in this catatonic, almost like coma state. And she looked over at my dad and I, and she said, I got some test results back, and I have stage 4 uterine cancer. And my mom, up to this point, had been the picture of energy and health. She was 69 at the time and vibrant. Like, my kids had to work to keep up with her. She was just the life of the party, was all about helping other people have fun and find fulfillment and joy in their life. She's just incredible. And so, never had, like, hardly any health problems, like maybe like a sore tooth once, you know? And so to get this news was stunning, to say the least. I feel like the world just stopped. And I remember thinking, I, I, I can't even begin to get my head around this. And in the course of nine months, my mom went from being the picture of health to going to be with Jesus. Nine-month window. So this is a picture of her and I in Maui, and uh, we got to take a trip, uh, a family a family trip to Maui, and, um, and so this was a few months after she'd been diagnosed, and then this is her six months after this picture was taken. Um, you can see what cancer um, did to her uh, and how broken we were about it and, and in disbelief. And I suddenly went from feeling like I've got, I kind of got this grief lost thing figured out to feeling like I had no clue. No clue how to process this. No clue how to begin to even journey through the loss of my mom. And it was so brutal for me. You know, kind of facing the reality that we all have to at some point, that life doesn't unfold the way we anticipate or the way we want and I'm not talking about the barista getting your drink wrong at Starbucks. I'm talking about something going really, really, really sideways in your life, right? It's not a matter of if we will experience loss and grief and pain from something like this, but it's a, it's a matter of when. It is coming to us. And I, I know this is kind of a probably hitting you guys sideways too, because if you haven't walked through this, you're like late teens, mid-20s, early 20s. It's something that just isn't really on many of, of your radars. And, and I say that because I, it wasn't on mine. And I'm 39. I, I, just, I knew like I'd lost some grandparents, and that was hard, but losing my mom to cancer in nine months was so traumatic and horrific for me. And I just was like, wow. Sometimes there's losses that that we see coming, and those are like a tsunami that we, we notice in the distance. We get a warning that it's coming, but we are powerless to stop it. And then there is sudden loss, and that is there's a tsunami coming, and we're playing at the beach, and, and all of a sudden it hits us. We never saw it coming. That's a phone call. Boom. And regardless, right, regardless of which tsunami of loss and pain you get hit by, it's incredibly disorienting. It's like being in a massive wave. If you've been surfing at all and you get caught over the waterfall of, of the wave and you just get in that, 
in that cycle of the wave and you feel like, I'm never going to come up. I'm, I'm never going to know which way is up. I may never breathe again. You just feel so lost. Those of you who've been through, all of us have been through some form of loss, but see if you can identify with some of these emotions and thoughts that happen to us when we're going through loss. Some people describe feeling like they're going crazy. Like, I just feel like I'm losing my mind. I know I felt that way. Just, I, feel, I feel crazy right now. Crazy with, with this grief thing. You have difficult difficulty concentrating. Sometimes if you've gone through loss and you're trying to like study or read a book and you just like, I can't. I feel incapable of focusing. You feel extremely sad or depressed, irritable and angry. Feel frustrated and misunderstood by other people. If you've experienced loss, like just other people don't, don't get it when you're in a season of deep grieving and how, how could they? Anxiety, nervousness, fearfulness. You feel like you want to escape. I'll be honest with you guys. When I was going through the throes of this with my mom, and I was at the end especially, I was battling with suicidal thoughts. Like I never had a plan, and I never had a, like, a, I didn't go out and buy any things, but I would think about it. And it was just this intense need to escape. Like I just thought I would have these thoughts, and they weren't really like a premeditative thought like, I just want to end it, but I would just be standing there. I'm like, I just kind of want to step out in front of this huge bus right now. And it was like a, a, a desire for me to escape the intense pain of the feeling. Sometimes you just feel numb. You, just feel, you, you lose all emotion, and you just feel disconnected. You can feel like you, you have zero energy, and you lack all motivation. Sometimes you feel really guilty for one reason or the other about the loss. But again, it's not a matter of if, but when we'll go through this. I, I'm kind of that guy um, who likes to watch obscure documentaries on Netflix. You know, the ones like no one watches, and you're just like, oh, I'm interested. I watched this documentary about these people who were trying to do ultra marathons through the great deserts of the world. Has anyone seen this documentary? Like, it's like, I think it's called Desert Runners or something. And they're trying to do the five biggest deserts in the world and do an ultra marathon through each of them. I'm like, that is ins- insanity, right? But I was thinking about it, and, and as I was watching these racers go through these deserts, I was thinking, yeah, they, they still have to get up that day and run through this desert to be successful in this race, but a lot of their success and getting through this insane environment had to do with what they did before they ever got there. The, pre- the prep, the training, the extreme things that they would go through to understand, to teach their bodies and their minds what it would be like to run a marathon, five of them back to back through a, the, one of the world's largest deserts. And I was thinking about how grief is similar in that grief can feel like one of the world's largest deserts. It's an unfamiliar environment. It's harsh. You don't know if you're going to get through it. The things that, that sustain you, that help you, that flourish, make you flourish, they're no longer there. You can feel that way. And, it, and as much as you can't really prepare for lo- a ma- major loss in your life, I think we have to do what we can to have a healthy frame of mind about what grieving and mourning is before we get there, so that when we walk through it, we're at least a little bit equipped and that there are some things that we can grab a hold of and look to, markers, if you will, signposts, right? All throughout these deserts, there were little flags 
marking. I don't know how many miles they were apart, but as they would walk or run through these deserts, they would see a marker, and they're like, okay. They would jog a little bit. Okay, there's one over there. And it was like it led them through the desert. And in that same way, if, if desert, if grief is like a giant desert, we need markers so that we can move through the process and not find ourselves laying down in the middle of the desert and it killing parts of us and it devastating the forward motion that God wants to be descriptive of every single one of our lives. So before we jump into some scriptures and before I really unpack a lot of what I learned walking through this whole thing, uh, I lost my mom a year and a half ago, so this is really fresh on me, so I kind of want to unpack really some personal things that helped me. I have another question for you guys, um, and this one you're going to have to really process through and think, but here it is. What does a healthy grieving and mourning process look like? How would you describe, right, someone who's grieving well or a healthy process and contrast that healthy process with an unhealthy and destructive reaction to loss? Be as specific as possible. So talk about what you think it looks like to grieve healthy. Talk about what it looks like to not grieve so well. And then contrast them in your group. Ready, set, discuss. That's uh, it's a little unfair to give you four minutes to discuss that. I know you guys could probably take like 30 minutes and <laughs> chew on that with your group at least. But I'm curious, by show of hands, how many tables touched on addiction? Anybody talk about addiction at this table back here? Yeah. How about isolation? Anyone talk about isolation? Yeah. What about um, anger? Yeah, a lot of hands in anger. Uh, anybody talk about um, denial? Yeah, denial. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I wish I could have had a mic at your table to see which, um, which side those things landed on, whether it was part of the unhealthy process in your mind or part of the healthy uh, process of grief. Um, it's pretty interesting how in our minds we maybe have defined in some way what the grieving or, or loss process or mourning process should look like versus what it shouldn't look like. And I wonder how actually accurate those, those pictures are. You know, Jesus said something really interesting in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 4. It was pretty, it's pretty simple, but I think the, the implications of it are profound. He said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And that, that's kind of a curious scripture to me, because it's sort of like saying, wait, like, don't we all mourn? Therefore, aren't we all blessed and comforted? And I would argue we all grieve, but we don't all mourn. They're two separate things, and I'll talk a little bit more about, about that here in a second. But I want to share three things that really helped me, they were like markers along the way that helped me walk through the desert of grief. The first one's pretty simple, and that is this, how do we grieve well? We lean into the pain and embrace the mourning process. It's really counterintuitive to lean into pain, right? Normally, we want to hide from it, we want to numb it, we want to escape it. So it doesn't come natural. But when you're facing the losses in life, 
one of the ways that you push through the miles that you actually make progress is you lean into it. What do I mean? That when you experience the pain of loss, whatever intensity, you're really, really honest about it, you talk about how bad it hurts, you, you don't shun away from things that remind you of the loss, you actually push into it. There are things that are called grief triggers, or morning, there are more grief triggers than morning triggers, but I still experience these, right? It can be something I smell, a song on the radio, something, some piece of clothing that someone's wearing that reminds me of my mom. One, one day I was worshiping in, uh, in service, this was like probably six months after I lost my mom, and I was, in, I was on, the, on one, one, one area of the auditorium, and all the way across, you know how big that room is, all the way across there was a lady, and she was in the back, and she was just dancing, and it looked exactly like my mom from 300 yards. And uh, that was this massive grief trigger for me. Like, oh my gosh, there's my mom. Like, and I, everything in me wanted to be like, I'm out, right? Like, I can't handle this. But instead, you know what I did? I watched this lady dance, and I wept. And it was a healing process. And then the Lord began to even speak to me, and he said, guess what? You're getting a picture of what your mom's doing right now. She's dancing with me. And then I was wrecked even more, right? But it was so good. It was such a good moment. It was such a healing. I was moving through the desert, right? When you press in and you lean in, and it's very counterintuitive. So let's go back. Grieving and mourning. Blessed are you who mourn, for you will be comforted. Grief chooses us. We can't escape grief. Something, a loss comes into our life, and we have this very visceral response to it, and we can't control it. Mourning is something we choose. It's us submitting ourselves to the process of facing the reality of life in the new way of things without that person, without that set of circumstances. Here's one way to succinctly put it. Grief is an emotional reaction. Grief tends to follow a common pattern of emotional states. Shock, confusion, denial, anger, sadness, rage, depression, isolation, just to name a few. Mourning, however, is the process one undertakes to deal with the void that is now left. It is the process of acclimating to living life without this special someone or something. It is a period of adapting to the changes created by this loss. Blessed are those who mourn. Only those who mourn will be comforted. When you press into that process, post-grief, right? Grief, grief is almost always lasts a certain set of time. Mourning for major losses like my mom... I'll be mourning that for the rest of my life. I'll be constantly trying to adapt to the reality. Like this weekend, my son was up, was down three goals to zero. His team had just got thrashed first half. Second, second half, they come back. My son scores the tying goal. And I was so happy. And as I'm celebrating this moment, I'm like, my mom would have loved to have been there for this. 
You know, when my daughter, who's 12 now, gets married, and I'm walking her down the aisle, it's going to be a sweet moment. But you better believe I'll be thinking about my mom that day. Going, she would have loved to be a part of this. That's mourning, right? And we press into that process. You know, sometimes I choose to step into the pain of my mom, and that's actually really, really healthy. Sometimes she'll come to my mind, and I'm like, you know what, I have 30 minutes. Just like the other day, I think it was two days ago, I was thinking about her because of this message. I was really stirred up. And you know what I did? I did something really gutsy. I watched the memorial service. I think that was easy. I think that was a bit counterintuitive. Yeah. And there I was in my office, just bawling. People were coming in. Can you sign this? And I'm like, yes, I'll sign your title. What's wrong with you? Don't even worry about it. It's good. I was just a wreck. I, she, my, her and my dad lived up in Erie, which is near Broomfield, north of Denver. And so when she was nearing the end, we were, my sisters and I, my wife, we were her hospice care. We had a team of, that would drop off medicine for pain, but we were the ones that were caring for her and washing her feet and rubbing her feet and singing over her, praying over her. So I would drive between here and Denver, I don't know, countless of times to go and be with her at any moment I could, right? So I had a lot of time in the car, so there, I listened to a lot of music. So sometimes I'll leave work an hour early and I'll just drive, not all the way to their house, but drive halfway there, and guess what I listen to? The same songs. And guess what I do? I cry. And I pray. And I thank God for my mom and for the gift that she was to me. And that's an example of me pressing into that process. So, you may have heard of, um, let's bounce back a little to grief. Stages of grief. This is something that and another marker, again, this is usually that first period, it's no set time, but you, you go through, you guys talked, some of you guys talked about denial. That's the very first stage of the grief process. Not the mourning that you choose, but the grief that chooses you, right? You go into denial period. Very, very common. I remember just thinking, how can this be? Like for months on end, I thought, this cannot be true. And, and a lot of psychologists sociologist, me as a pastor, theologian, I, I view that as God's way of letting the loss slowly, s- slowly meet us, right? If the denial phase wasn't there, it would just, all of it would hit us at once, and we'd probably, we would probably literally go crazy. But there's denial built into that loss so that, that the reality of it slowly settles in. I remember even after my mom, you know, passed away, we had our moral service, we were driving back home, and I just remember thinking, did that really just happen? You know, I still sometimes, like we were up there um, yesterday in the area where my parents lived, and we drove by the house, and I just looked at my wife where my mom, where my mom lived, and I said, I can't believe that she's not going to open that door and come greet us and say, come on in, I've made cinnamon rolls for everybody. Just like, it was so beyond me, even a year and a half later that that so there's a, even a measure of denial still for me. The next step, does anyone want to know what happens after denial? Anger. A lot of us tend to label anger as a bad thing. It's actually one of the stages of grief that, that you work through. And these aren't, a, these aren't linear steps, by the way. These are just markers along the way. I remember for me, this, this really happened actually early on 
in finding out her diagnosis, we were still living in California at the time, and we had a lemon tree in the backyard. And I just remember one day, my kids would love to collect lemons and put them in these huge tubs. And I remember one day, I was at home, and I was in my backyard just sitting, praying, thinking about the news we just received. And I saw that bucket of lemons. And I was like, those bucket of lemons need to, need to die. <laughs> and so we had this brick wall. And so for like 30 minutes, I was fast pitching lemons at the, at the, at the brick wall, watching them explode. And I, what I, I was giving voice to that anger. It was, a healthy, it was a healthy way of expressing anger. There's a lot of other things I wanted to do, but I didn't. Like, that could get me arrested if I did that. Um, so the lemons paid the price, right? And then there's bargaining. This is where some people, if, if their loved one is sick, they may make, try to make a bargain with God. Like, if you let my loved one live, then, then I will fill in the blank for you. After the loss, it's sort of the what if, if only feeling of like, what if we would, like for me, it's like, what if we would have chosen a different doctor to treat my mom? What if we would have gone with the MD Anderson plan? Or what if, we, what if I would have researched a little harder on, you know, experimental treatments for this form of cancer? What if? What if we'd gone the total natural route and not done any? You just go, your mind just goes through this bargaining thing. Then there's depression. Very normal part of grief. A lot of people think like, oh my gosh, am I ever going to come out of this? Deep depression. Again, it's just part, part of the process. And then there's acceptance. And this, this is where people get confused. They think, I'm never going to accept the reality of this loss. This acceptance part isn't like, oh yeah, I'm agreeing that it, it's okay. It just means that you go, this is the new reality and I have to, I have to find a way forward. And that's usually when, when you start to go into, greet, into the mourning process and you choose. You're like, okay, my way forward is to continue to press in and choose this process. If you have trouble remembering the stages of grief, just think DABDA. It's a really helpful acronym. Not really. DABDA. DABDA. You, you actually may remember it now. DABDA. DABDA. It's really helpful. Second, 2 Corinthians 1.3 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So the first point, how do we grieve? Well, we lean into the pain and we embrace the mourning process. Second, we choose healthy sources of lasting comfort. You know, I'll be honest with you guys that when the pain was at its height, you know, I told you I, I had suicidal thoughts. I also just was like, I want to just go to a bar and just get drunk. You know? I want to just get plastered. Pastor Brad wanted to get plastered. You can quote me on that. You can tweet that out. Right? Because your soul is so desperate for comfort that in the grieving process, you're tempted to look to toxic things that you never would otherwise. Why is this? Because you, in essence, you and I 
are drunk on the emotion of that loss, whatever it be at that moment. Extreme sadness, extreme regret, extreme anger. And when you're emotionally intoxicated, you do things that you wouldn't normally do, right? We hear this, in a fit of rage, someone did this, this, and this. What, are they, what, what happened there? That person was drunk with the emotion of rage, with anger. And so they weren't in their right bearing. And so we literally, when we're in a major loss, we have to have things that, that point us towards healthy comfort. Because, man, our souls need comfort a lot, whether we're going through mourning or loss, we just get banged up in life. But especially when we're going through a season like this, the cry of our heart for, for comfort can drive us to do things we would never normally do. And so it's super important. Like, I had a standing weekly coffee with a friend. And I knew that I would ask, he would ask me how I was doing, and I would give him like this much. And then I would try to turn the table and say, tell me how you're doing. He'd go, no, 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 no. Atta. Ta, 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 ta. You have 45 minutes, my friend Brad Baker, to talk about your mom and about how you're doing. And I'd be like, oh, crap. Right? But what happened? I would share, and he would love on me. He would just, he would just look at me and go like, oh, I'm so sorry. Of course, Brad. Of course you're feeling that way. And as I would share, it was like he would just contain me. And, and it was a healthy form of comfort over a beautiful cup of really good coffee, right? And then, I would, then, then, the faith, then my, my faith community in a corporate sense was incredibly comforting to me. I stayed committed to being in worship and making excuses to find places where people were just interceding and praying and I would just go and be with the Lord and I remember a lot of it a lot of it happened in this room I would just be praying and, and talking to the Lord and worshiping and he would speak to me about my mom and he would remind me of things and it was so comforting it was so important here's something that maybe some of you haven't haven't ever thought about but our risk of looking to toxic things for comfort doubles if we're not aware of two important things. The first one is compounding grief. What do I mean? Just like you have compounding interest when you have a credit card principal that rolls over to the next month. Sorry for those of you who have that. I just brought up a, another really exciting topic. But this, it works much the same in grief. If you... Grieve something, but don't mourn it properly, it stays on your balance. It collects interest and more interest. And then when you lose something again, the effect of it is magnified. Let's go back to my father-in-law who's a vet. He said he's seen people in his office do insane things. Insane, like explosions of grief over a cat they've had for like six months. And my father-in-law said at first he was like confused by it, but then almost always as he got to know this person, it was because there was a loss a year ago, two, ago, two years ago, three years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago that they never dealt with. And the loss of that little kitty cat 
uncorked the bottle of that initial loss. And when we have compounding loss, it's way more difficult to say no to toxic forms of temporary comfort. A lot of the people that are hurting the most, that are in addictions, it's because of this. They went through something and they were like, I'll be fine. Or, you know what, I'm not even going to deal with it. I don't have time to process through this. And it catches up with them. Another way that, this can, that you can be pushed towards toxic comfort is not identifying the secondary losses from the primary loss, right? So follow me. If you lose your mom, right, there's a lot of other things you also lose. And so part of the mourning process is identifying those and grieving each individual one of those. Sounds fun, right? It's really important, actually, for me. What else did I lose? I already told you. I lost my mom being a fan of my 10-year-old boy playing soccer. I lost my mom being at my 12-year-old daughter's wedding someday. I lost my family as I'd always known it. My dad's now remarried. Our whole family, extended family, just looks so different. And a lot of days, I don't like it at all. I just want things to go back. And so I force myself to identify the secondary losses. Write them down, press into them, and grieve them and mourn them. It's hugely important. Sometimes, secondary losses, compounding losses, all come to bear at once. And that's when you see people get in real, real trouble. God is the God of all comfort, right? And he wants to be our primary source of comfort himself directly, his family, you know, like his nature. You know, I I was driving to Breckenridge. I went to the DLA retreat for half a day, and I was driving the back way to Breck through Alma and Fairplay, and the colors were changing, and there was a rainbow over Alma as you're driving up Independence Pass. It was amazing to me. And it was like, again, God going, look what I created for you. Look at this beauty. And then your mind goes to other things like, this isn't even a fraction of what my, the beauty my mom is experiencing. You know, you just, it's amazing when you press into God, he allows you to experience deep and rich comfort. So, okay, the last thing. So first, you press in, right? You lean in. Then you choose to set up healthy forms of comfort. And last, you allow God to use the pain of loss to reshape your character. Genesis 50, verse 20. Joseph speaking to his brothers, right? At the end of the sort of the, the, the Joseph narrative says this. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Do you think God wants to use the loss of my mom in my life? To do something good in me? Oh, oh yeah. Has he? Yeah. I'm so grateful for that. Do you think God wants to use the losses that you're going to go through to change who you are? Here's what I'd argue. Losses will either shape your character in a way that is not Christ-like because of how you choose 
the choices you make post-loss, or the loss will shape you and make you a lot more like Jesus. I'm a different person in so many ways. And a lot of, we've talked about a lot of the hard ways, but I feel like I'm a better man, a better father, a better husband, because I lost my mom. I'm just compassionate at a different level. Here's some examples of how God could change your character through a loss. Number one, I just said it, greater compassion, right? We, learned in, we, we heard in that 2 Corinthians verse that God wants to comfort others through the comfort he himself has given us. And I've, I've gotten the chance to do that with people that have lost loved ones. And I walk in and I'm like, I don't totally get it because you're unique and the loss you experience it, but I get it. And I'm able to sit with people in a different way. The second way it's really changed me is that I'm way more in touch with eternity. It's way more real to me now. Because suddenly someone that I walked with for 38 years is in eternity with God. Way more tangible for me. I'm more aware that life is fleeting. I'm not under this illusion. I still, I'm 39, but I still feel like I'm 22. But I am no longer, even though I still feel young, I'm no longer under this illusion that I have unlimited time on this earth. And it create, it's created a sense of urgency in me to like focus in my life on what really matters and quit wasting it on trivial things. That's a little bit more like Jesus, wouldn't you say? Last, the last thing I wrote down is I'm more in love with God because of the comfort he provided me. My relationship with God is so different now. It's deeper, it's richer. Because God met me in my most painful moment. He showed up in such a huge way for my family, for my kids, lost their grandma. And I'm like, man, I love you, God, so much more. Because now I get it. You're, the, you're not just the God of the summer and the spring. You're God of the fall and the winter. Right? It's beautiful. Well, let's stand together. I just want to pray over you guys. And Father, I thank you for this crew of people gathered in this room. Lord, more than anything, we want to love you. We want to follow you. We want to be your people. And God, crazy loss is going to come to our life. There's no way around it. But will you make us ready to the degree that you can for those moments, for that phone call, for that unexpected loss, for that loss we see coming, whatever it is, Lord, will you prepare us so that it propels us further into you, further into the purposes that you have for our life. And I pray over these gathered that, that you would keep them from false and toxic forms of comfort. I pray for those in this room that even now are in a lot of pain and that are tempted, Lord, whatever direction it is, to to seek after things that will leave them worse off than before. I pray that you would strengthen them, that they would press into community, that they would press into prayer and worship in your word and receive true lasting comfort from you, God. Father, we praise you that you're the God of mourning and God of grief and the God of comfort. 
Thank you that you want to use this junk that we go through, God, to shape us, to mold us. So God, I thank you for your faithfulness to us in all seasons of our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For Brad. A beautiful sermon, a heavy, a sober sermon, and I don't apologize at all. It's a topic that most Americans, most young Americans especially, just totally ignore in their lives. So thank you, Brad, and let's thank the Lord. Um, Be here next week. We'll continue this sermon series. We'll talk about what happens right after death, the theology of uh, Sheol, soul sleep, and resting and waiting for the resurrection. So that's next week. Go in peace. Blessings to you all. We hope you've been spiritually encouraged by listening to this podcast. More podcasts and information about the college and 20-somethings ministry at New Life Church in Colorado Springs can be found at newlifechurch.org forward slash Sunday School.